I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew's Gospel, please, chapter 5, and then in chapter 7. Matthew, chapters 5 and 7. Well, my heart's blessed to hear good news like that. Love never fails. And we appreciate the sense of the Lord's presence in this room again tonight. I often quote the verse, it's very appropriate for our gathering this evening, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, and times of refreshings come from His presence. I understand that verse literally to be saying to us, where the Spirit is Lord, where nothing hinders Him, where He is at work as He is wont to do, there is liberty, liberty to worship, liberty to open God's Word, Liberty for him to speak to hearts in every way that he sees that he needs to. And I'm grateful for that sense of his presence. I spoke to my wife this afternoon, and one of my times here, I took some of your, your music back, a tape. And my wife, she, she usually each week, she has to sort of look at my schedule to see where I'm at. And uh, she, when she knew I was coming back to Temple, she said, uh, uh, she asked me, the first thing she asked me this afternoon when she called, she said, uh, uh, the choir sing like they did on that tape? And I said, yeah, even better. <laughs> and uh, she said, uh, I'm going to fix my schedule to come with you the next time. So I, I told the preacher, I said, I told her if we was around here, we'd join up with you. Uh, I'll say that on Sunday night. Don't tell that on me because I preach in a dozen churches in this area. <laughs> I'll, I'll get about 11 cancellations as it gets out on me. But I, uh, I say that sincerely. I like what I sense here. I like the, <clears throat> the emphasis that you're placing on prayer and outreach and worship, lifting him up. That's my understanding of what uh, New Testament Christianity is all about. That's what a New Testament church is. Coming together to worship Him, learn about Him, and then going out where people are at and taking the, the message, taking, telling the story. And uh, the preacher mentioned this morning, we talked about it at uh, lunch today, about uh, the new emphasis on prayer. I even mentioned that to my wife. We had the joy and the privilege of becoming a, a pastor of a, a, a church for the second time in 1975. And the church was in trouble more ways than one. And as I said a moment, uh, this morning, I preach three days a week somewhere. I've done that for 35 years, almost every week, but for a little while I canceled everything. And we started prayer meetings. Uh, prayed in the morning for folks that could, had to go to work in the afternoon and then in the evening, the day workers would come and they'd pray with You could go there at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, go by the prayer ministry. I can hardly talk about it. I've times gone over there just to nearby with another building. 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, I'd hear people in there. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. I sense now somewhat I'd sense when I'd walk in that place. 
To God be the glory of these things he did. That, and as long as I live, I was interviewed in St. Louis by a person recently who knew about the work, and he said, Brother Hurt, we, we know a little bit about that work. And he said, I'd like to ask some questions. I'm taking it back over to a place where I'm speaking. And uh, he said, I at one time was involved in that work, and I happened to know what God did there. Two or three years bringing from 50 or 60 people to a thousand people regularly there. He said, uh, was there a secret? And I said, those people began to pray. They began to have a heart for God. Wouldn't take no for an answer. Wasn't because of Wilbur Hurd. It was because some people began to get a hold of God. People would come visit with us. People would come in and God would save them and they'd go get others and bring them right back. He said, I understand you didn't have a visitation program. I said, oh, we didn't have, I guess what you'd call organized visitation. I'm for that. It grew up, we wouldn't have anywhere to put people. But if you said those people didn't visit, that'd be reflecting on them the wrong way. They brought people to church every Sunday. People got saved in every service. My understanding of New Testament Christianity, if we stay in touch with the vine as a branch, we don't have to be scolded to bear fruit. See, that's natural. Uh, when we're in touch, that's His life in us and producing His fruit, and as a result then, the love of God in us causes us to want to reach others. So I thought of all of that this afternoon, and the Lord has brought me tonight to bring uh, preach on a text that uh, he's brought to my attention. I've turned to another verse. You may want to turn with me, Ezekiel 22. And let me read this verse first tonight, Ezekiel 22, verse 30. God said, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge, stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. Notice what God is saying. We're in Ezekiel 22, 30. But here's a rather sad statement. God said, I found none. Think what he's saying now. I'm giving you a little time to turn there. Idea behind the word sought, God gave some attention to it. God said, I tempted, I searched. I, I went out as it were looking for someone. Someone, and you students know that that's a picture of an intercessor standing before God for the land. But the sad statement is, I repeat, God said, I found none. Therefore, because of that, God said, I poured out mine indignation upon them. I've consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. I never read that without that speaking deeply to my heart. Here's God telling us, in the days of Ezekiel, days somewhat like our days of immorality of every type, wickedness running rampant. And yet before God's wrath came, God said, I went out looking for someone that would stand before me on the behalf of the land. But I found none. We're in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, basically, but read with me in chapter 5. Chapter 5, a large crowd of people is gathered, and our Lord is confronted with a multitude, it says in verse 1. Get back up in chapter 4, and you'll find that they've come from quite a distance. 
Those multitudes, they've come from Galilee, Decapolis, that ten-city area, Jerusalem, Judea, even beyond Jordan. Verse 5 says, when he saw the multitudes, seeing the multitudes, he does something that would seem at first uh, uh, being a little unusual. He, He withdraws from them. He moves away from them. With his disciples, he, he begins to open his mouth and teach them. They're called the Beatitudes. And what he does, he gives these Beatitudes, and then he takes these truths and he amplifies them in the rest of the sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7. But having given them these insightful truths, up to verse 13, he then he says this to him in verse 13, You're the salt of the earth. Verse 14, You're the light of the world. Don't miss what he's saying. I think that must have really with force took hold of them. A little crowd of people, just a handful. He's not saying you're just the salt of, of, of Palestine, but you're the salt of the earth. Not just the light of your community, you're the light of the world. Notice he didn't say try to be salt. He didn't say endeavor to be light. He says that's what you are. You are salt. You are light. But then he tells us that salt can so be compromised that it's good for nothing. Light can so be put in a position that no one would even see it. Let your light so shine before men they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I preached a series when I was in the pastorate. I entitled it, How to Make a Difference. What kind of people are the people of God that God will use in a community that can just go out and function in such a way that they make a difference. He's saying, you're in a decaying society, they need salt. He's saying, you're in a dark society, they need some light. And I tried for a few weeks from the Sermon on the Mount to share with our people some truths that God would take and use in us and through us to cause us to function as salt and light in a dark and a decaying society. I'm not sure how many messages, but one of them was based in the, the seventh chapter and verse 7 through 11. He tells us a people who make a difference uh, is a people that is a praying people. There's one subject that he comes to twice in this Sermon on the Mount, and it's the subject of prayer. He gave what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's, a, it's an in-depth uh, Uh, prayer that instructs us how to pray. And then just before he closes his message, he comes back to this subject of prayer again. And I think uh, he's saying, if we're going to be a people who make a difference, we must be a people of prayer. Look at verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, he that seeketh findeth. To him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? 
I want to take just a few minutes this morning, or this evening rather, I won't take long, don't need a long time with this, and I'd like for you to think with me what I'm entitling three keys that unlocks the door to effective praying. I read once where Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of my heroes of history, Mr. Spurgeon said, I don't know of any scripture that's been any more helpful and encouraging in my needy heart when it comes to this business of prayer than Matthew chapter 7 and verses 7 through 11. Spurgeon, as you have heard no doubt your pastor talk about when an American evangelist, a preacher was there, and he asked if he wanted to, would like to see the powerhouse of the tabernacle. Preacher said, thinking perhaps he might take him to the boiler room. And he was shown then where at least a hundred men is in prayer when that mighty preacher would deliver the word of God to the people of God. When they asked that uh, prince of preachers, when they said, what is the secret of such a phenomenal ministry? And Mr. Spurgeon, without a second's hesitation, said, my people pray for me. Here's our Lord in this sermon that he's telling his own people the truths that they must have in their life if they're going to be light, if they're going to be the salt of the earth. He comes to them and in such an insightful way here, he, I think he's saying to us, here is some principles that's involved in the kind of praying that must be in our life if we're going to make a difference. I suggest these three simple truths. Number one, my understanding of this text, he's saying to me, I must pray specifically. I must be definite when I come to pray. Not just vague. Not just general praying. But I must have something on my heart. I must be coming to Him with an intent. I must be coming to Him out of that sense of need. And, and someone said to me, Brother Hurt, where do you see specific praying in this passage of Scripture? Look at the verbs in verse 7. Ask, seek, knock. He, you, he has, of course, the implication, he's saying, you to have something on your heart. You're asking for something. When you're seeking, you're seeking, of course, for something. When you're knocking, he's not indicating we're just generally knocking on every door around. No, there's a door that needs to be opened. And, and he's saying to us, when you come to pray, you ask, you seek, you knock. I ask a man of God, it's been now all my 30 plus years ago, 32 I guess, 33 even as I think about it. I ask a man, he's been with the Lord now a number of years, if I mentioned his name, many of you'd recognize his name. I have two or three books on prayer in my library that he gave us, and he would preached on prayer at the late Dr. Ford Porter's church downtown Indianapolis. And he'd preached in such a way that God spoke to our hearts in, in such a definite way that morning. And I was one of a number of preachers that came, and I knelt over here uh, just three or four years in the ministry. And I recall asking that man of God, is he, he, he didn't say pray specifically. His word was, he, God wants us to be particular, pray a particular prayer. He'd say, don't just be, have a rigmarole. Don't just, you know, come with a lot of things, but zero in and, and have something. He was he's saying definite on your heart. And I asked him about that. We were talking and I said to him, I, I've got a couple of questions. And I said, doctor, what's wrong when we, we have a problem of being, as he put it, particular? Uh, what's wrong when we have a problem of being specific in prayer? 
I'll never forget this. He looked me right in the eye. Those of you who know who I'm talking about, he'd wear his glasses down like this, and he looked me right in the eye, and he said, young man, I like that young, ben, young man business now, but I don't think I appreciated it 34 years ago. But he said, young man, he said, if you, can't be, if you can't, can't be particular, if you can't be definite, if you can't be specific, he was saying, he said, one of two things is wrong with your prayer. Either you don't have any faith in what you're talking to God about, or two, you don't have a burden. I never forgot that. He said, people with a burden don't have a bit of trouble. I'm using the word specific. I was in a church in a city south of, of your city in the year when the Gulf War, when was that, 91? And I was in there the night that uh, the ground forces went in. We'd been elated about the, the air forces and, and the success of them, but there'd been some apprehension and, and concern about when the ground forces goes in out there in that desert, they're vulnerable and there was a lady came to my left and called me over to the side, her son. She heard two weeks uh, prior to that, and he'd said, when they go in, I, Mom, I'll be among the first that's thrust right out there in that open desert. He's out of that church. And she, he said, Mom, uh, would you ask the church to pray? Uh, ask God to protect us when we go in there as ground forces. I repeat, just before service, and some of you recall uh, just before we went to church that night, and the pastor had got up, a number of people out of their fellowship was there. They, some of these were in reserve, and they picked them up and took them right there, and they're on the front line. And I've said that to say this. She, she asked me, she called me off the side. And she's kind to me, and she called her son's name, said, Brother Hurt, he loves you. And uh, I told him you was coming. He's going to be with us in the meeting. She said, would you pray with me for my son? And then I'll pray. I'm talking about being specific. She prayed. I'm being honest with you. I couldn't even word my prayer after sensing her broken heart. There was no vague, indefinite kind of praying. Here's someone aware that her son is right there in the midst of danger. You ought to have heard that prayer. You ought to have heard her. She poured her heart out to God. Oh, she called his name and she pleaded the blood and the promises of our, of our Lord and was so definite, so specific, zeroed right in. One of the things God's been speaking to my heart is I've just been taking this subject of prayer and looking back and forth in the Bible. It's been amazing really to me to find how much emphasis in the Bible and Bible prayers it's not general, not vague. Now, don't miss me. Someone, someone missed what I said the other evening and got upset with me. Listen to me carefully. A lot of times our prayer is, Lord, heal the sick. Lord, bless the church. Lord, save the lost. That's not wrong to pray that. But that's pretty general. That's pretty vague. Just save all the lost, Lord. Bless the church, Lord. Heal the sick, Lord. No, I don't find that kind of praying in the Bible. I find the kind of praying in the Bible that God really honors and the kind of praying that prevails in the Bible, the kind of praying that makes a difference. It's not a vague, general kind of prayer. It's not just, Lord, save the lost, but they have someone on their heart. And they mention that name. It's not just, Lord, heal the sick. There's someone on their heart, someone they're bringing to Him. And that person is who they're thinking about. And so, in my understanding here tonight, 
He's telling me when he says, if you're going to pray in a way that you can function as light in the dark world and you can be salt in a decaying world, if you can be a, a person and you can be a people that make a difference, you'll have to be a people of prayer. And you'll have to pray specifically. And I repeat, I see it in the verbs, asking and seeking and knocking. But more than that, I see it in the illustration. Look what he says in verse 9. What man is there of you whom if his son asks a bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks, will he give him a serpent? Every parent can relate to this. Every grandparent can relate to this. I, I'm sure you've noticed that, that the children have a way of being specific. We have three children. We have seven grandchildren. I never recall those boys or our daughter ever coming to me and, and saying in just a general way, Dad, would you bless me? They usually would tell me how they wanted to be blessed. Amen. Not just bless me. And especially when they got to be teenagers. Our boys, there's the oldest, and three years later there's the second. And then Becky, she's three years behind the, the other boy. And she began to observe that those boys, at a particular time, they got blessed in a particular way. And now she's at that age. And she reminds me. And she told me how she wanted to be blessed. The color, the make, the model, and all about it. Amen. <laughs> she wasn't vague about it. It wasn't some general request. It was rather specific. And our Lord is using an illustration tonight of parent-child illustration. And He's helping us, teaching us, and saying if you're going to pray in a way that you can make such a difference in your community, you need to pray specifically and then more than that, I, I see that he's telling me not only do I need to pray specifically, but I need to pray persistently. You say, where do you see that? Not only in the verbs, but as you students know tonight, the tense of these verbs. And I don't read anything in the Bible that's not there. You can check me on any reliable source tonight, and you'll see that I'm not reading in, anything into it, and I'm not injuring the truth. But when he said, ask and seek and knock, what he more literally said, if you ask and keep on asking. You seek and keep on seeking. You knock and keep on knocking. Any, any word study that will give you the tense of these verbs, you'll see carefully that's what he's saying. Uh, not just one time. It's not just a, a one-time prayer. Our Lord gave two parables about prayer. Both of them emphasize this business of persistence, perseverance in prayer. One of them, he said, men ought always to pray and not to faint. Not to lose heart, not to give up, not to get tired of it. Don't get discouraged. And the other one, he has a man knocking on his friend's door at midnight. And our Lord's telling the story and said he didn't get what he was after just because of friendship, but importunity. Somebody said, what's that mean? Persistence? More than that, really. It means shameless persistence. Here's a fellow who wouldn't be discouraged. He wouldn't be denied. He's knocking on the door. He knows that fellow's got what he needs. And Jesus is telling us how to get our prayers answered. And said he knocked and he knocked and he knocked. And the fellow on the inside gave him what he was after because of his shameless persistence. That same man I asked, he, he, he didn't use the term uh, persistent praying. He didn't use the term perseverance in prayer. He used the term as, as some of the old timers were wont to do. He used the term praying through. Stay in with God till you get in touch with God. 
And I recall asking him and his answer, encouragement and encouragement tonight when I was talking to him about, you know, asking and keep on asking and knocking and keep on knocking. He said to me, if you've got a right to ask God one time for something, you've got a right to keep knocking and asking and seeking until the answer comes. I've never forgot that. Some of us say we've about lost heart. Oh, we've knocked on heaven's door for the salvation of a loved one. That loved one is still lost. They're not in yet. But some of us about give up. Some of us about fainting. Some of us going to call with more intensity and, and with more heart. We would seek the face of God. We would ask God. We would wait upon God. But the need hasn't come yet. The, the answer to that need, we, we don't have it yet. And yet some of us, instead of being persistent and persevering in this business, and just knocking on the door and waiting on the Lord. And so I see he's saying to my heart, at least in my understanding of this text tonight, he tells me I need to pray specifically. I need to pray persistently. I heard a man of God tell something preaching a while back that spoke to my heart. He said he'd been to the meeting. He described the meeting, and he said uh, God had give us a good meeting. He's in First Baptist in a... Uh, an area near where he was raised and he said on that last night of that meeting said there was a, a man came in he said I knew him the pastor I was preaching for knew him and, and he said to be honest uh, uh, we were surprised to say the least and even shocked to see him come in church he's notorious in the community he said he's not so much as just an outright uh, immoral wicked man, but he's a man against God, a man against the church, a man that belittles the church, a man that likes to put preachers down, had no time whatsoever. Just that kind of a fellow, a wealthy, he called him in that part of the country a rancher. We call him farmers where I'm from. But he said this wealthy farmer, he came in that night and had a seat back to back. Pastor and I, he said, was seated here on the platform. And I repeat, he said we couldn't believe that he was there. He said, I preached the best I could. Gave the invitation and said, sure enough, he got up and came down that long aisle of First Baptist Church and came right here. And he said the audience was not aware of his presence till he came down and people knowing him, of course, notorious in that community for the attitude he's had and said they couldn't believe it. And here he is down here at the front speaking with a pastor. One of the deacons went aside with him and they're praying with him and instructing him and helping him. And he said he got saved. And the pastor's, the preacher's word, he got gloriously saved. And then he said the pastor got the attention of that large audience. And they took a microphone and brought it down here. And he said, she's reluctant to do it, but I, I want her to say a word. And the preacher said, then I discovered it's his aged mother. They gave her a microphone. And she said, I heard a man of God preach on prayer a few years ago. And he said, if I would be persistent and not lose heart. said, if I had a right to ask God for something, I've got a right to keep on asking. And said, then he showed me if I got a loved one lost, God's not willing that any would perish. And he said, her voice cracked with emotion. And she said, I don't want to brag about it, but there hasn't been one day through these years that I haven't gotten alone and asked God to save my son. And said, God has saved him tonight. And he gave a word of testimony. He said, as you know, I, I'm somewhat out of place. I, uh, this is not, uh, I'm not in custom of coming here, as you know. But he said, I can't tell you. As he put it, I can't tell you what 
came over me a little while before church, and he said, I knew I had to go. And if I didn't, I swear I was going to go to hell tonight. Oh, the preacher said, it wasn't what I preached. It was the persistence of a godly mother and grandmother that wouldn't take no for an answer. Oh, our Lord is saying, don't give up. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. And then there's a third simple truth here tonight. He tells me, at least to my heart, he's saying you need to pray specifically. Come to me with something on your heart. You need to pray persistently. Don't lose heart until you, you've, you've obtained what you're after. And then there's a third principle involved, not only specifically and persistently, but in this passage he's telling me to pray expectantly. Look at verse 11. I think it's underscored, at least in my understanding, in a twofold way here. There's two truths here that encourages me to expect it to happen, believe it's going to happen, have confidence that it's going to happen. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You say, where do you see it? Number one, in the fact that, notice who Jesus is bringing us to, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask Him. Now, He's our Father, but He's our Heavenly Father. And being who He is there, He's able to answer our prayers. And that's the first encouragement for me to expect an answer. I'm talking to someone that has the ability tonight. I mean, He's not limited. He's God. In my afternoon reading, I'm reading through the, as I said, through the Gospel of Mark. And in my afternoon reading, this afternoon, I came across that scripture where the disciples was amazed at something Jesus said. And Jesus said, all things are possible with God. No limitation, He's God. But more than Him being able, notice He said, He's your Father. And being our Father, not only is He able to answer my prayer, but He's inclined to do it. Every parent in here knows that if you have a child in need, you're inclined, if you have a parental heart, you're inclined to meet the need of that child. They don't have to try to persuade you to love them and care for them. You're bent in that direction. And Him being our Father tonight, he, our Heavenly Father, He's God. He has the ability to answer our prayers. He has the inclination to do it. And so I'm encouraged tonight to pray specifically. I'm encouraged to pray persistently. I'm encouraged tonight to pray expectantly. I was in a meeting a while back, and I won't go into detail. These people had corresponded with me. They didn't uh, writing, and then they'd call me a couple times. Both of them in a prayer conference. The preacher had called it not a revival, but a conference about prayer. He'd asked me to speak. I spoke twice a day for four, four nights and, and three mornings in, in their church on prayer. And uh, these folks talked to me that last night. They shared their heart. They shared their burden. They said God had helped them that week. And they both, and I didn't use this exact text, but I used another. And some of those words was involved. And they said, we're going to pray specifically. We're going to pray uh, persistently. And we're going to be expectant. We're going to pray believing it's going to happen. God hears this. I got a letter they, they would do. I'm guessing probably, as I think back over it, it must have been nearly a year. Uh, 
at least six or eight months, they, they, they talked to me about the situation. They came to hear me preach at First Baptist in a city west of where I live, about 50, 60 miles, not very long ago. Uh, this daughter they were praying for, she's probably middle 30s. She is with them. They came down here and talked to me. She said, uh, she called me Pastor Hurt. She said, Pastor Hurt, Mom and Dad's informed me now that they've been staying in touch with you about their burden for me and about my salvation. As she put it, her return back to God, I think they're convinced now she'd never really been saved in a very wicked lifestyle. And I don't say it to put them down, but Mom and Dad said one night when I was preaching about attitude, we, we fear we've driven her further away because of, of our own attitude when we try to talk to her. We haven't done it in love and brokenness. We've been rather self-righteous and put down. And as, as Mom said, we've been rather preachy to her. And just the other day she said, Mom, can I come around the house at least one time without you putting me down? And that mother wrote a letter and said, when our attitude's changed, we notice now God's beginning to change her. And she stood down here in front of that First Baptist Church where I was preaching. And she said, I got baptized two weeks ago, Pastor Hurt. She said, it's wonderful to know the Lord. Mom and Dad stood there behind them in big tears, both of them. And I repeat, they emphasize when we changed our attitude, God began to work in her. And they both said it was when we took prayer seriously. And every day of our life, we just started holding her up. And we started accepting her and loving her for who she was. And said, now God has redeemed our daughter. And they were praising God, and they was kind to me. And said, God taught us those principles when you were in our church. Pray specifically. Pray persistently. Pray expectantly. Believe it's going to happen. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. God bless you tonight. I've just come with just a simple truth out of God's Word. But I've tried to share my heart tonight. God knows I'm talking to my own needy heart. To have a meaningful prayer life, it doesn't come. It's not automatic. You'll find if you start to uh, get serious about becoming a person of prayer, you'll find that the enemy in every form he can show up will try to keep you from your place of prayer. But when we get to that place that we say, Lord, this is going to be who I am and what I'm doing. I'm going to meet you daily in prayer. I promise you, you'll see God start doing something that sometimes it'll, it'll amaze us what he's doing. All over the room tonight, I just sense God's wanting some of us to come and just, just talk to Him. I know you can do it right there in the pew, but there's something about coming forward that just sort of seals the commitment. Our heads are bowed. Pastor, you come please, and I'll ask Him just to go right ahead and take the service. I'm going to kneel here and talk to Him. You want to join me tonight? This might be a night you look back upon and say right there is where God did something, something lasting, something meaningful. I like how the preacher put it earlier. When he said that, I said, Lord, do that. Let us meet you this week in a way that we'll never be the same. Life-changing encounter with him this week. Numbers are coming. Come on, join us tonight. God bless you.